0: We need to educate people about that. We need to educate the, the, the individuals in our industry, and we need to educate the the, the consumer that' we're, that we 're working with that that some of the things that they 're being told to do probably are not going to work nearly as well as what they think and that I believe is a problem and if there isn 't a higher degree of certainty that that the end result is going to happen or that the process that you 're using in your, in your financial wealth building. Uh, we'll work under most, if not all circumstances. Yeah. And then I think we need to It's A hundred
1: percent. There's so many assumptions that we make. And when you think about it, it's not really financial planning. It's, it's financial hoping.
0: Well, and you use the key word, assumptions. Yeah. We make a lot of assumptions. And I would like to reduce the number of assumptions that yeah. we make or clarify those assumptions. And is that assumption really a true thought process that, that is quantifiable?
1: This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Scott Christensen and I am super pumped because you're a legend in this business and I just, I'm just, i just curious about your story, number one, and I know that you have some really hard things that you've gone through that's made you even a bigger proponent of why, why we do what we do. So, I'm, I'm hoping for... Our audience, if you can, number one, give them the breakdown of who you are and, you know, but then also I want to I want to break down your philosophy on how money works. And then, I'll, then I want to get down to the root of who you are and, and your story, because I'm telling you, if people get a fraction of the conviction that you have right now, um, I'm doing something really right on this podcast.
0: Great. Glad, glad to do that. Well, I actually started uh, uh, when I was quite young and I got into the insurance business, financial planning uh, business, uh, kind of by accident. I was talking with an uncle at a a family reunion, and he happened to to have gotten his insurance license and said, Hey, this is pretty interesting. You ought to talk to the general agent. And and I was an economics and accounting major in college at the time. And I thought, Well, you know what? I'll go talk to him. And so I did. And kind of the rest is, is history. I got into the business. Um, wasn't very successful to begin with. Uh, in fact, I found it much harder than I anticipated. How, how old
1: are you when you got in the
0: business? I was, I was 23 years old. Uh, I'd started a family. We, uh, had, uh, a little girl after we'd been married for about 15 months and then 12 months and 10 days later we had twin girls. Wow. Uh, and that was right in the middle of me starting my insurance career. And then we had a little boy, uh, 19 months in, after that. So a lot of kids really fast, a lot of pressure. And as a result, uh, uh, I needed to get to work, but uh, I, I suffered terribly from call reluctance Yeah, and uh, would do just about anything to avoid doing what I needed to do. And so, really, for a period of about three years, I I struggled until I finally decided that uh, if I was going to be successful, I needed to do what the successful people did. And I began to look at that, and uh, that changed my career. What, what do successful people do? Well, the first thing they do is they get to work. Yeah. <laughs> they, they go to it. Uh, you know, and, and really that was all it was. It was, it was activity yeah. instead of uh, wasting time, pushing papers and doing things that didn't really result in uh, business. I needed to do activities that generated appointments.
1: You know, it's funny is we have a saying around, around, you know, better wealth where asset-based activities, which are, are activities that you can do that can put money back in your pocket or can help you get closer to the result that you want. And it's exactly, it's 100% what I've seen as well as when I look at people that I admire and want to become more like, I say there's their habits that they're doing that are making them, that are putting them in a position, quote unquote, making them more lucky. I've gotten some quote unquote luck in my life, but it wasn't just random. It was working towards a direction and, and things happen in your life and then it's being able to pounce on that. So, it's, it's really interesting that you you picked that up. And did, did it immediately when you had that, like, did you have an aha moment? And like, what was that aha moment? Well,
0: the bottom line was uh, my wife, uh, my mother, and several others were saying, well, uh, you're not really succeeding in the business. Why don't you go get a job? Oh, wow. And I said, I have a job. And they said, well, you're not making any money at it. So pretty, pretty soon I had to come to the reality. Either I'm going to do this and become successful. I looked around. I saw all these successful people in the agency and the organization I was with and I thought I'm just not doing what I need to be doing. I need to do what they're doing and uh, just get to work. And and that and I and one of the things that I did because I had set goals before, uh but they were financial goals. I want to make X amount of money. I changed that around and decided at that from that point forward that I would my goals were activity goals and they weren't for a a, a year or even a month. They were for a week. I like that. Every week I had to do certain things. And the activity is what, if you do enough of the right activities, I love that, you man. get really lucky.
1: I, you know, what's super interesting about you saying that is we've changed the way that we are managing and leading our company. And instead of reporting on what I call leg measures, things that it's like how many calls we scheduled or how many things that we did, we report and are accountable on lead measures, which are activities. So, for instance, if, if I need to call 100 people and the goal is to schedule 10 appointments, I'm going to let you know how many people I called and then obviously the result will be accounted for. But if there's an issue, it's we have to look at the activity. It's not necessarily the goal. I think that's, wow. That was a while ago.
0: Then three years in the business when I had to make that uh, uh, change or when I made that change. And from there, then my career began to really take up uh, because I, I had the experience. I had the knowledge. I, I was with a good organization that trained me well, but I wasn't implementing the things they were training me because I didn't have any appointments yeah. to to tell my story to.
1: What, what were some of the aha moments that you had early in your career that was like, I need like people need to hear about this.
0: Well, I, I would say that uh, originally I was I was taught and trained in the traditional thinking and planning uh, method, and and back then there was something called the financial need analysis. Mm-hmm. I began to utilize that, uh, helping people understand that that they needed to have more income than they realized, they needed to have more insurance than they realized, uh, and so I did my planning that particular way. But it was a very very long time before I encountered some of the things that I use today. Right. Uh, and so, as a result of that, I didn't have the success that I probably could have had, had I been using those those tools. Right. And then key things happen in your life, rocked your world. Yeah. I, I've, I've shared with people that uh, during my career, I've, I've delivered a lot of death claims as a part of the planning process. And you think you know and you understand what's happening in, in families, uh, but of those death claims, uh, 50, 50 plus death claims... Um, I've, uh, seven of those were family members. Wow. One was, was a granddaughter that uh, drowned on a family vacation. She was two years old and there was insurance on her. And this happened, uh, just before nine 11, 2001. And I still was a traditional thinker and planner because that's what I'd been trained to do, wow. uh, had securities licenses and so forth. And so when the death came claim in, it came in, it wasn't very much. Uh, it was only about $30,000. Yeah. I still hadn't made the transition to the thinking that I have today. Uh, this was uh, The death claim came in in August of 2001, and we put it into mutual funds. Now, if you think about what's going on in the country in 2001, the market had been down, going down for about a year and a half, and it wasn't finished. 9-11 happened about uh, 3 weeks after we put the money in the market and as a result that account went down su- substantially in fact it dropped down to about $13,000 now you can imagine my distress when having lost a granddaughter yeah. to begin with the idea of this this money it was designed to be a college education fund for her two older brothers now the market took it away and i looked at that and i thought there there is no certainty here there this is this is not what I planned, and of course my son-in-law, he was not very happy with my recommendation, and I really had to begin uh, stepping back and thinking about what was it that I had been taught, educated, and to some degree consumerized into thinking. And uh, I I came to the clear realization that there were many things that I'd been taught that were simply not true, and that traditional thinking and planning didn't provide the type of certainty that I wanted to provide uh, to my clients. And I had to really uh, look deep into that and decided that I would go and I would find, I would see if there were other philosophies and thought processes out there that created greater financial certainty.
1: Can we unpack the word certainty? Because it's definitely come up a lot these last couple of days, but I have not personally talked a lot about that word certainty on this show. How do you define certainty and what do you mean by financial certainty?
0: Well, my definition of certainty is is to be able to put something in place that Uh, you can, you can count on that you take as much of the words, I hope this works or if this happens, that you take that out of the equation. Now, can we plan for every scenario that might impact the degree of certainty that you can create? That no, you can't. But if you're, if you're focusing on, if that's your focus, in other words, if we look at every asset and every financial decision as to are you taking risk that either is not necessary or is so much out of your control that the results may not even be close to what you originally anticipated. That's one of the things that we teach in in traditional thinking and planning is is we we use math to predict the future. And unfortunately, math isn't money. And, And so when you start looking at things from just a math perspective, all of a sudden you begin to understand that there there are things that you really truly thought to be true about money that that are not we need to educate people about that we need to educate the the, the individuals in our industry and we need to educate the, the the consumer that we're that we're working with that that some of the things that they're being told to do probably are not going to work nearly as well as what they think and that i believe is a problem and if there isn't a higher degree of certainty that that the end result is going to happen, or that the process that you're using in your in your financial wealth building uh, will work under most, if not all, circumstances? And then I think we need to. Uh, it's one hundred
1: percent. There's so many there's so many assumptions that we make, and when you think about it, it's not really. Financial planning—it's—it's it's financial hoping.
0: Well, and you use the key word assumptions. We make a lot of assumptions, and I would like to reduce the number of assumptions that we make or clarify those assumptions. And is that assumption really a true thought process that that is quantifiable? Is that—is that assumption really a correct assumption, right. or is it part of a mythology? So
1: after your granddaughter's death claim. You lost a lot of it. It made you start re- asking some critical questions. What happened next and, and how did that change your thought process and how did that change your, the way that you talk
0: and think about money? So, over the next uh, year, as I looked around the country, I talked to other planners. I, I came across a number of financial uh, thought processes and philosophies that, that really resonated with me in terms of, okay, we can make this more predictable. We can, we can reduce risk. Uh, we can we can control taxes better. Uh, we can take the market volatility uh, and minimize it or, or or in some ways even get away from it. Uh, and the other thing that that happened was is that I began to realize and it's not that I didn't realize it before because I I'd paid a number of, of life insurance death claims before. But I beca- be- began to realize just how important life insurance is as a financial asset and as a financial tool and that the amount of life insurance that people had was very, very important, probably more significant than I'd ever given it credit for. Um, I was taught something called economic or human life value. And again, it's not that I didn't kind of understand that, but the emphasis became very clear that in order to help families generationally, Needed to help them understand the value of this asset. I know you've written a book uh, called the and asset and, and that's exactly what life insurance has become. Uh, it wasn't that f- for me before. Yeah. Um, but it, it has become one of the most powerful financial tools that should be included in everyone's planning process for a lot of reasons and one of those reasons is is because there are there are ways to develop uh, capital inside these insurance contracts that can be used any number of ways collateral for for loans business loans uh, acquisition of of property etc um they can they can be used uh, to 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 purchase things. There's a lot of things that we can do with cash values. Uh, at some point in time, you can ultimately turn uh, turn them into a, a stream of tax-free income if you want.
1: What's your favorite story of, of either you or your clients using cash value life insurance? And like, what's one of the coolest stories that you can think of of how someone used that asset class? And
0: well, one of the things I, I tell my clients or I, I, I talk about in seminars, I uh, I'll sometimes say. Um, I'll ask if they have a four, anyone in the group has a 401k and a few hands will go up. And I'll say, does anybody have a 401h? And they'll say, no. And I says, well, that's good because I made it up. Uh, and I says, uh, let me explain. When I understood the value of cash values and having capital on hand, and because I was, uh, taught how to, to use these cash values in a very powerful way, one of the things I did, uh, was to go out and buy a houseboat. Now, uh, I bought the houseboat and I use the philosophy that uh, some people uh, refer to as, as the infinite banking concept. Yep. Uh, I call it the family banking concept or the family yep. banking system, actually. Yep. And uh, so I tell people, I say, look, you put money in your 401k and every quarter you get a statement. You're either excited and you go, yay, the, uh, the market's up or you're not excited. The market went down. So you're a little depressed. But what I did was I bought a houseboat I amortized the the cost of the boat, added interest to it, paid myself back. Now, I paid myself back into the insurance policy that I withdrew the money against. And so, as a result, now I have my cash and I have a houseboat. So, every summer, one to two to three times a year, I take family members or friends or or, uh, clients down and we create memories on that houseboat. Mm -hmm. And so, I've got my money and I've got the asset. Oh, and I have one other thing that I use the the cash flow uh, from from the the uh, cash values to create a stream of income back to the life insurance contract. So I kept my life insurance in place, and as a result, I've got one dollar doing multiple jobs.
1: That's the whole concept. That's the whole thesis of the end asset. How can you get your money working in multiple ways? And I love that four hundred one h. I'm going to start using that. But you you're pretty much creating memories. Your money is continuing to work, and that's what life's all about. It
0: it changes everything.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating, man. Okay, so why don't you share going on from that? So you're you're starting to get these aha moments. You're starting to help people. You're starting
0: to have seminars. Yeah, I, I will. I will share this. A couple of things. First off, is that uh, the other death benefits that I've delivered? Uh, my uh, um, father-in-law passed away. My mother-in-law passed away. My stepdad passed away. A brother passed away. A sister passed away. Uh, and my uh, father died. One of the most important uh, and and really impactful, those were all impactful, but my my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And she was first diagnosed in 2010, early in 2010. And at that time, they said, we can get this under control. We can treat it. And they did. Took about two years, chemo, radiation, surgery, all that stuff. Uh, but they did tell us at the time that there was a high probability that it would come back. Now, they said, for them, a high probability, they said about 40%. I thought, well, that's actually kind of low. But about uh, 18 months later, it did come back in 2014. Only this time, it had changed. It had. It was no longer the same type of breast cancer. It was slightly different. And now, it was treatable, but it wasn't curable. And I... Remember the doctor uh, telling us the the treatment plan that she was going to be on? And he said, we'll start her on chemotherapy. And, And the previous treatment had been eight treatments every three weeks. I said, so how many treatments? And he said, well, for the rest of her life. And that's how we found out that she was terminal. Well, I'll have to tell you that changes everything. Uh, my wife and I had dated for a couple of years before we got married. And we, at the time, we'd been married for 41 years when she passed away. But I, I had a decision to make. I had a business to run. I had a practice to take care of. But I have a wife that has now been told that she is terminal, even though they told us originally two to three years. It became apparent within about six months of treatment that she wasn't going to make it that long. And in fact, uh, she passed away uh, 15 months after that diagnosis. What I want what I shared the other day with a group that I was talking to, and what I'll share with you is this, is that even though I had delivered death claims before, this one was very different. And the reality is, is that today's products are so much more powerful than products of even 10, 15 years ago. And by that, I mean, they have what we call living benefits. Mm-hmm. And one of those living benefits is uh, what's called a terminal illness rider. Which means that you can get part of the death benefit, depends upon the company, but the amount will be anywhere from 50 to 70% of the death benefit while that person's alive. I knew that my wife was not going to be with me for that much longer. And I just told everybody in the organization, I said, you know what, I'm not going to be around. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm not going to be around. And uh, we took advantage of those terminal illness riders, so that I had plenty of money. It's not that I didn't have other income and other assets, but this made everything possible. I didn't have to worry financially because I had gone out, I had uh, my, my own human life economic value, I'd got the maximum amount of insurance that I could on my wife, I lived what I preached to my clients, and as a result, I didn't work, not only a year and a half, while well, she was uh, 15 right. months
1: yeah, but how, how could you?
0: Here's the other part that as we're talking with clients, one of the things they don't understand is the emotional side of what it's like to watch someone that you care about deeply die over an extended period of time. And I know that they've got people in their lives that have maybe died of cancer, but it's not the same if it's your spouse. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. And as a result, I I've, I've felt going into the process that I was a pretty strong person and that I could handle it, and I did. I didn't go right back to work after she passed away.
1: Yeah, how, how could you?
0: And as a result of that, I actually didn't really work much for another year because of, of how how I was feeling. And, and I, I just didn't have the energy, I didn't have the desire. And again, having these insurance contracts with the benefits that they had i would give every dime every dime of it back to have more time with but the reality was that she did pass away and and the financial side of my life was kept completely intact because of these insurance policies and i i tell people i tell my clients when i tell the story I says i tell them that you have no idea not only how you're going to feel during the process you're going to you have no idea how you're going to feel Afterwards, and wouldn't you want the luxury to know that if you needed to, you could take a year or two off work? There, my children lost their mother. Our grandchildren lost their grandmother. If if anybody doesn't understand, I mean that you'd have to know my kids, you'd have to know my grandkids to, uh, and the relationship they had with uh, their their mother and their grandmother. It was this was this wasn't just my loss. This was a huge loss and and the family needed me to be able to, to function. They needed to know that I was there for them. And so, again, the financial side of it, it's not the most important thing because there's many other, you know, the relationships are, are, are the most important, but the financial side of it gave me the ability to do that.
1: Well, and There's two things I want to point out. Number one, uh, well, before that, thank you so much for sharing and I, I know this is really a raw story and. I appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity in that. Um, but the two things I want to point out is in this financial quote-unquote plan strategy, it would be easy in the short term to potentially do things. And I don't know how you had it struct- structured or whatever, but like someone could potentially be ahead of you, quote-unquote. Like I'm thinking of the tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. But what you just pointed out is not only did you get to... Create memories throughout your life, but one could argue that you are in a better place now because of the decisions that you made, and there's no other financial strategy that you could use because all those would have been derailed.
0: Absolutely, in fact, uh, we we could have, you know, ha- I not had that additional, I might not have been able to go to work or uh, uh, yeah. not not work, I, 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 and and that would have changed how I experienced yeah. the whole process. And and it's re- I think it's really important that that. We, we help our clients understand that having economic life value, human life value, uh, on ourselves, uh, maximum amounts of, of of coverage on our on our spouses, even a lot of times I'll have a a, a husband in particular say, well, I don't need that much insurance on my wife. Again, you don't know how this is going to uh, come down. You don't know how you're going to be. There's I could tell lots of stories of, of scenarios where. There were accidents, somebody got uh, killed and the, the spouse was disabled. The, the husband, he, he can't work. The spouse is gone. They just lost their mother. They just lost their father. You really want to have to go back to work? I mean, there's so many, it's things that we all know, but until you experience them firsthand, it's a problem.
1: Well, and I'm so glad that you came on the show because I focus a ton on the living benefits, on controlling your money through leverage, on having your money grow the rest of your life, on different retirement strategies, on you being your greatest asset. We're having entrepreneurs and all that stuff is important. And that's what you preach. But I, we also need to be reminded of the, um, I'm getting emotional here, but we have to be reminded of, of the foundation that we're building. We have to make sure that that foundation is self-fulfilling and that we have the right planning in place and we look at all scenarios.
0: Thank you. Well, and, and I'll just I'll finish with this. And that's what's what's really important here is that, yes, we're doing planning. We're helping people make major decisions about a lot of different things. And we're trying to uh, reduce taxes. We're trying to to minimize risk, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, one thing that is that is absolutely certain, and that is we're all going to die. And because of that, we have a license and we may have a lot of other licenses, but one of the licenses that most financial planners have typically is a life insurance license. And unless we use that to its maximum uh, potential, we are doing a disservice to our clients and we're not taking care of people. And I, I, I teach my clients that one of the things there's, there's a reason that wealthy people typically stay wealthy is they keep the money in the family. Yep. Yep. And, and I want middle class America because I come from middle class America. Uh, I still am middle class America. My kids are middle class America. I want to teach them how to create tax free generational wealth, and one of the ways to do that is is properly structured uh, and funded life insurance maximum uh, uh, human life value on every generation. And if we'll do that, and then teach people how to, uh, you know, our, our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. Uh, I just my uh, fourth great grandchild was born today. Wow. Just about Two hours ago. Are you serious? Yeah.
1: Congratulations! Uh, yeah. And, oh my goodness! Uh, what are you doing here?
0: Well, it's uh, they were uh, they were going to tell me when she got here, and and she just came too fast, so uh, c- couldn't couldn't get there. But in any event, the 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 ideal for me is to help families create that generational wealth and understand how to keep it in the family and how to expand it as opposed to divide it. That's what that is one thing that the wealthy do sometimes is they disperse their wealth generationally because the generations get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you have life insurance, human life value in place for every generation on your kids, then your grandkids, and then your great grandkids, there is this constant recapitalization.
1: I want to hear how you define, you said economic value or human life value multiple times. How would you define that?
0: Well, for me, it's relatively simple I, I will look at somebody that that's making you know a hundred thousand dollars a year if they're forty years old. Uh, most insurance companies uh, will give them uh, about uh, twenty times that uh, in death benefit that's the maximum that they can qualify for and so we're trying to get people to understand that that if if the insurance company sees your economic life value at 15 or 20 times your income, then you, you should probably uh, consider that a, a pretty good indication that that's the amount of coverage. It's not because the insurance company is trying to get uh, rich off of selling you more insurance. If, if that were the case, they'd want to sell you 5000000 million. They'd, they'd let us uh, sell you $5 million, But your economic life value might be $2 million. And that's where we want people to focus.
1: Well, and another way I've heard it is you can't get rich off of insurance and in, in a messed up, messed up way, the insurance company can't incentivize someone to want to kill themselves. Just like if you insure your house for $10 million, but your house is worth $5 million or half a million. There's a chance
0: there's going to be some arson.
1: I mean, I would be tempted to burn the thing down and collect. And so, that would that's just an extreme example, but, but the, it's false to think that you can have too much life insurance because you can't. Because- because the insurance companies again want to, aren't, you don't want to incentivize you to do anything other than
0: you know. Because they work off the mortality tables, and as a result of that, they're saying, "Look, you, you've got earnings for for this uh, number of years, etc." So, bottom line is is that you're right. You you can't get rich by buying uh, uh, the 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 insurance company's not going to get rich. You're not going to get rich you're going to get the right amount of insurance and and that's what you should have and you should have a, a substantial amount on your on your spouse right it's
1: got the way i love ending these interviews is th- let's say this is your last day on earth and you know that you're going to pass away you're with the people that you love the most and you have one more conversation with them what are you sharing with them? What, what, what from your life would you want to pass down to them and all the things that you learned?
0: You know, it's, it's very interesting that you would, you would ask that question because, uh, and I've done this to a degree, but I need to do a better job of it. I truly want to make sure that my children, my grandchildren, and my, uh, my posterity going, uh, going forward really truly understands keeping wealth in the family, creating wealth, Teaching correct financial principles, understanding how money works, uh, is is the the intellectual capital about that, that comes around how, how we make money. But but making sure that that we're doing something that's generational. Sometimes I, I think families get to a point where they're they're going in different directions. They have there's family issues. There always are there's family issues in my family with my siblings. Uh, there's there's some in, uh, with my kids. They're they're not all on the same page. I'd I'd love to get more people, my family members, on the same page where where it concerns money and finance and keeping the money in the family moving forward.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for even staying staying behind. I know you're going to be taking off to seeing your your granddaughter, but I really appreciate you being here and appreciate you sharing the stories. And um, I think there's a lot of gold nuggets that if we take – just take what you're listening, and even what you, you pass on to your family. If they get this money thing right, and they actually understand that money is a tool, and they can leverage that tool well, think about the think about how special that looks like generationally. To gen like it is just it's really really cool, and I'm just grateful that that I could get your story and that
0: you came on. Caleb, thank you for having me on. I I appreciate it. And and uh, one last thing, and that is this is that you you hit it on the head. Is that uh, if we can just get uh succeeding generations to to work together in in creating value and and keeping keeping the assets moving forward uh you know some people are, are afraid to leave their families money because they're, they're afraid it's going to ruin them we we've i probably should have included in there one of the things that's most important to me in in leaving as a legacy is an understanding of how money works and how to make it work for you and not have it be something you know that there's that old adage that uh uh money is the root of all evil well that's a misquoted scripture uh it's it's uh it's the love of money and i want my 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 family to understand money. I, I don't want them to, to love it to the point that it, that it corrupts them. I want them to understand it and use correct principles to move themselves forward financially. There's no reason to not have significant wealth in middle-class America if we'll change our thinking from scarcity to abundance and then learn uh, better principles more correct principles about money. I love it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.